We sing Hosanna, which means the God who saves on this Palm Sunday. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. You can go ahead and have a seat. Most of you didn't even tell you. I was just like, all right, he's out. Let's sit down. (laughs) I'm glad to see you here. It, It is a wonderful time to celebrate what God is doing in this Easter season as we uh, talk about Palm Sunday today, the idea, and you saw the palm branches walking in with our kiddos, some of you had them too, as we just celebrate the fact that we have a God who saves us, such a wonderful truth for us. Uh, So if you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, and we'll be in chapter 5, Luke's Gospel. Uh, Today we don't have what I would call a traditional a Palm Sunday message, but I do think that it's where the Lord has led us, and this is why we're going to go that way, because we want to go in His direction. Amen? Yeah, for sure. A couple things while you're turning to Luke chapter 5. Let me just uh, remind you about Easter weekend. We've already talked about that, and you saw that on the video hopefully earlier. We're super excited about it. It's going to be a wonderful time of worship for us. Of course, on Friday we have our Good Friday service, and then on Saturday, this is where things get a little different from our usual. At 4 p.m., we will have an Easter egg hunt here, and that is designed for you to be able to invite people to come join you for that, to reach out to your neighbors and try to bring them to come join us for that. And then after that, we will have a worship service at 5 p.m. Now, there have been a few people who have just kind of asked, like, well, why, uh, how are we advertising it? Have we really put it out there to the neighborhood? And here's the, the reality is what I kind of want you to understand where our heart is in this event. We do some events here where it's let's get as many people as we can on this campus. Uh, Trunk or Treat is one of those. It gets pretty wild. A few thousand people show up here and we have a good time. But this is not really that type of event for us. What we're wanting to do with this Easter egg hunt is to equip you as our church family to be able to reach out to families and invite them to join us, really not just for the egg hunt, but for worship that evening. So the heart behind that was that we didn't want to, you know, like uh, say, hey, everybody, come to our egg hunt. And when they get here, like, aha, got you for church, you know, like we didn't want to do that. Uh, So the idea behind this is for you to reach out to someone who you know may be interested to come join in the work God is doing here. So we'll have that egg hunt at four, and then right after that, we'll have our first of three identical worship services. Whether you come on Saturday evening at five or to our two services on Sunday morning, it's going to be the same service. We're going to have the same music, the same sermon. I may not be wearing the same clothes, but who knows? By the end of it, I may just put a cot up back here and sleep over and get up and do it all again. But uh, we're going to have a wonderful time of worship. And what I want to just encourage you to do is join me in praying about how God would use you in this. You may want to invite someone to come with you. So you may invite some folks and come on Saturday evening and then decide that you're going to come back Sunday too. That's wonderful and great. Uh, You may decide that you want to come serve Saturday night at the egg hunt and with the folks here and then come back Sunday for worship. Or you may just come Sunday morning and be praying for us on Saturday night, but however uh, the Lord leads you to participate in this weekend, can I just ask you to sincerely pray that God would do a great work in this place over Easter weekend as we celebrate the resurrected Savior. Are you down for that? All right. Praise God. Uh, well, I'm excited about today's message. I want us to kind of ask ourselves a question and look into our hearts as a church family and ask, what could God do with the church that was totally surrendered to him? 
What could Jesus do with the church that said, Jesus, have all of our church, whatever you want us to do, however you want us to be led, whatever you want our church to do, whoever you want us to be, we're in. We surrender everything to you. What could God do with this kind of church? Notice I didn't say a church that had a lot of Bible knowledge. I didn't say a church that uh, looked really cool on social media and had a lot of good activities and programs going on. All of those things are great in and of themselves. But the question is this, what could God do with the church totally surrendered to him? William Carey was a British Baptist who many consider the father of modern missions. And he has a quote that says this, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Let me say that again. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I'm all about that first half. I'm like, Lord, do something amazing in this place. God, show up and show out. Do something that absolutely blows our minds. Do something incredible. Yet there are times where I know in my life I've been like, God, do something, do something, do something. All the while, I haven't really been doing anything myself. But we're going to encounter a group of guys in this passage who didn't just expect great things from God, but they attempted great things for God. And what I want us to do is think about what it means for us to be a church that is doing great things for the kingdom of God. I want us to think about what that looks like and what that means in our lives. And we're going to see this encounter that these guys had with Jesus. It changed them forever. And it not only changed them, but it changed them to the point that they took that change everywhere they went. So we're in Luke's gospel, chapter five, verse 17. The word of God says this on one of those days, as Jesus was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, that's a scary line right there, isn't it? That Jesus, you don't have to say it out loud, Jesus knows what we're thinking, doesn't he? The Bible says we'll be held accountable for every idle word spoken. Can I just tell you, Jesus even hears our thoughts. So even the idle things that we think about, he perceives our thoughts. But he answers them in verse 22. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. You pray with me. Lord, we desire to see extraordinary things in this place today. Lord, we want you to do what only you can do, and that is speak through your word in such a way that it messes us up in a good way. Lord, that it leads us to not be content with the way we are, but that we would just say, God, I surrender to you 
mold and shape me how you want me to be. God, I pray that you would speak so clearly through your word that every one of us would walk out of here knowing that we didn't hear a message from Rusty, but we heard from your Holy Spirit speaking through your word. Lead God and direct the words that are coming out of my mouth. And Lord, I pray even the thoughts that we're thinking would just be a Holy Spirit-enabled thought so we can focus on you and hear your word today. Thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is a crazy passage and a crazy story. In fact, I would say this is pretty high up there on the list of Bible stories where I'm like, I wish I could have been there for this. So Mark's gospel tells us this same story and gives us some details. It says Jesus had just gotten back from Capernaum and he was there and uh, they, they got back to Capernaum and they're there and the house is so full of people. People are trying to hear Jesus speak. And we said this last week, if you were here, that when you're healing people, uh, when you're performing miracles and when you are teaching things in a way that nobody has ever heard before, what tends to happen is that people come. So there's a crowd everywhere Jesus goes. So he's in this house teaching and Mark tells us that the house was so full that people are literally filling out the doors and like wrapping around this house. This is an insane crowd of people, kind of like what happens here pretty regularly. Just kidding. Uh, But one day. All right. Hey, we're just praying. But this is an incredible crowd. And these friends show up with the guy and they're trying to bring him to Jesus because he's paralyzed and they want Jesus to heal him. But when they get there, they realize pretty quickly there's no way we're going to get in. The crowd is just too big. There's no route for us to get there. It's just not going to happen. Now, to modern readers of this text, we almost get offended on behalf of those guys. We say, how rude are these people to not let this disabled man get to Jesus? That's a terrible, terrible thing. And we find ourselves thinking that. But you need to understand a couple of things that are working against these guys. In the Jewish culture of this time, the reality is that this sickness that this man had uh, was something that they would assign to sin in his life or sin in the life of his family. If you were sick or had some kind of disability, they would just assume that you must have sinned in some terrible way or your family sinned in order for you to have this thing. So at that point, they would just not really feel bad for you. Instead of having compassion for this man, most of the Jewish folks in that crowd would have been judging him. By the way, this isn't this sermon, but can I just tell you that we far too often have judgment instead of compassion towards people? Uh, That's another message. I'll preach that later on. But... So that's working against him. There's another thing, though, that's working against this guy. And that's the fact that Jesus already at this time has a reputation as a healer. So because Jesus is a healer, this is literally a crowd full of sick people. This isn't just one guy and everybody else as well. This is like a mosh pit of sick people. By the way, that is my nightmare. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I'm borderline hypochondriac anyways. Like, it's, this is just not good for me. I'm looking for some Germex. Like, this is just a bad situation. But that's what it is. So these guys can't get to Jesus. There's not really a clear path. And I'll just tell you, if I'm one of the friends, I think at this point, I'm out. I think I'm looking at them and saying, hey, man, listen, we tried really hard. As you can tell, we all came to your house. We picked you up on your mat. We've brought you here, but there's no way it's going to happen. Maybe some other healer will come. I think Benny Hinn's coming next month. Maybe we can make it happen. I I don't know. It's just not going to happen, though. But these friends didn't do that, did they? They said, let's try something crazy. Now, by the way, every group of friends has this one guy or one girl, right? There's the one person who says, now, I'm just spitballing here. I mean, just, just hear me out. What if 
we took him up on the roof. And apparently the rest of the guys, they're down. They're like, all right, let's give it a shot. So they go to the roof. By the way, you need to remember, I've said this before, this Bible is not a collection of fictional stories. This actually happened. This isn't just a neat story. This really happened. Can you imagine being in a church service? Of course, it wasn't in an auditorium like this. It was in somebody's home, but essentially that's what's happening. It's a church service. And you hear footsteps on the roof, and you're like, that's kind of weird. But you're trying to listen to the preacher. Some of you already, you're being distracted all kinds of ways today. You're like, I just got to listen. But it's hard, right? Imagine hearing the footsteps on the roof, and you're like, I just got to lock in. Jesus is talking. But then some debris starts to fall. And at first, maybe it's like a little dust, you know, like... But pretty soon, there's like a skylight in this house, and it wasn't designed for a skylight, right? And this isn't a modern-day stretcher. It's not like you could lower him down this way. They had to tear a hole big enough to lower him horizontally down in the house. Imagine the size of that hole. Now, as a a pastor and preacher, Pastor Bob, I think, could vouch for me. There are moments where in church there are distractions that happen, and you just keep going. You're like, I'm just going to, I'm locked in. I just got to keep teaching, just keep plowing ahead. But there's probably had to be a moment where Jesus at some point is like, all right, I'm just going to wait till they're done, right? Like, I don't think you teach through that whole thing. But at some point he stops and then this man is lowered down. And I love the way Luke records this. It says that Jesus, seeing their faith, seeing that they were so confident in Christ's ability to heal, they looked at their faith and his faith and he looked up and he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And when he said this, immediately the religious leaders that were hanging out trying to see what this whole Jesus thing was about started to think in their minds, who does this guy think he is? Who is this guy to forgive sins? Who does he think he is? Now, we know that Jesus didn't just think he was anyone. He knew he was the son of God who took on flesh to save the world. So so that's who Jesus was, but the religious leaders didn't know it at that time. And Jesus, again, this is a scary thought, answers the thoughts they were having in their head. And he says, which is easier, to forgive his sins or to heal his body? But that you would know that I am the Son of God. Now, listen, I think a lot of times we make the Pharisees and the religious leaders the punching bag. And as if Jesus is just throwing zingers at them all the time, boom, roasted. That's not how it worked, though. You need to understand Jesus had compassion even towards the religious leaders. He said, I'm telling you this so that you will know who I am. He looks at the man, he says, get up, take your mat, and walk. The Bible says he did it. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out of there. And I love Luke's summary statement. You know this is a summary statement because he didn't walk out and then quietly they all said, like it says there in verse 26, We have seen extraordinary things today, right? That's a summary statement for sure. Because I bet pandemonium ensued in that moment. Like, I can't believe what we just saw. That was incredible. And this man is walking, takes up his mat, and leaves. This is an incredible passage of Scripture that I think teaches us some important things. If we are going to be a people who do incredible things for the kingdom of God, then we've got to be a people who are not only transformed by Jesus, but that take that transformation to others. So if we're going to do great things for the kingdom of God, a few things this passage teaches us. First, we have to get up. We have to get up. Now, we have this weird ability. I know that I do this all the time, and I think you probably do too, 
to write ourselves out of the scripture or, or at least always give ourselves like the moral high ground when we're looking at passages like this. So generally, when we read this story, we talk about, well, we also need to be good friends who are taking people to Jesus. By the way, that's a great application. We're heading that way, just full disclosure. But the first thing we need to realize is that at some point, and maybe even today, each and every one of us were or are the paralyzed man. We were the people on the mat who were dead in our sins, who couldn't move apart from a work of Jesus Christ. We were dead in our sins and we were bound by the chains of death and we could not move and we were stuck in our lives where we were in that moment. But by God's grace, somebody brought us to Jesus. And Jesus saved us, transformed us, freed us, and equipped us to be people who are living for his glory. Because that is what Jesus is all about. This is incredible when I read this story. Because again, if I'm one of these friends, now some of you are thinking, wow, Rusty is a terrible friend. That, that might be true, okay? But if I'm one of the friends, I think when Jesus says your sins are forgiven you, I'm like leaning into that hole and saying, hey, Jesus, that's not what we brought him for. Thanks for doing that churchy thing, but now I need you to get him up off that mat. But Luke doesn't record that happening, does he? I believe these friends realized that they were in the presence of the Savior. And when you're in the presence of the Savior, I think it has a way of making you realize your most desperate need. And your most desperate need is Jesus Christ himself. And when you are in his presence, you realize, I need him. You see, Jesus wasn't concerned about this man's paralysis. He was concerned about his soul. Jesus has a way of drilling down to the heart of the matter in our lives. I know that so many of us deal with so many different things, and I wonder how many times we leave disappointed, saying, Jesus hasn't helped me with my issue with pornography Jesus hasn't helped me with my relational struggles. Jesus hasn't helped me with my family issues. Jesus hasn't helped me with my finances. And we bring all these things to Jesus and say, Jesus, why aren't you fixing this? Why aren't you helping me in this? And I wonder today if Jesus would say, I'm more worried about your soul. And until we get that right, until you get up, we can't fix anything else. Until you know that your life belongs to me, we can't do anything else. Some of us today need to get off the mat. Jesus stands ready to save us. Good news, Jesus is still in the business of bringing life out of death. Jesus is still in the business of picking people up off the mat and healing people today. If you need Jesus, he stands ready to save you this day. In a few moments, we're going to have a time of response. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus today, and he's drawing you to himself, I want you to come talk to one of our pastors. We'll be sitting on this front row ready to talk to you. And nothing will fire us up more than talking about what it means to know Jesus with you. Because it's the most important thing that could happen here today is you meeting Jesus and having a real relationship with him that starts today. We have to get off the mat. We have to get up. But not only do we need to get up, some of you would say, Rusty, uh, I appreciate you being passionate about people being saved, but this is a church and many of us already know Jesus. Here's the reality, though. A lot of people have gotten up, but they've never, they never get going in God's direction. We need to get going, and that's obedience. We need to get going in God's direction. Many of you have been saved, and you're like, my life belongs to Jesus now, but you never actually started following Jesus. You know that you're saved, but you're not walking in his direction. You stood still, or maybe you've even gone the other direction. 
Did you know that when you were saved, you were not saved to sit, but you were saved to serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world? But so many of us continue just to live in our lifestyles of sin. It's interesting here when uh, this man was healed spiritually, when he was saved, and then when Jesus said, get up and go, what's Luke tell us? Jesus said, get up, take up your mat and walk. He says, immediately, the man took up his mat and left. Let me just ask you today, is the word immediately in your vocabulary? It should be when it comes to following Jesus. It should be. There are way too many of you praying about things that should be already in your life. I came from a Baptist church when I was called to be your lead pastor, and I used to make a joke that uh, I'll pray about it was the Baptist no. Yeah, some of you yeah, like, hey, do you want to serve? Do you want to help this ministry? Well, I'll pray about it. And I was like, all right, might as well go on to somebody else. It ain't happening. But can I tell you, some of you today are still praying about whether you need to love your neighbor. You're still praying about if you need to share the gospel with other people. You're still praying about if you should love that difficult person in your life. Can I tell you something? Jesus has already clearly spoken to us on these things, and we need to immediately obey. We've talked about this before, but so many of us are saying, Jesus, show me what you want my life to be like. We're looking at the big picture. God, show me what the next step in my life would be. And all the while, we're crying out to God to show us the big things, yet we're not following in obedience in all the things we already know he wants us to do. If you want to know God's direction for your life, start obeying his commands, and I believe he is going to lead you into the direction for your life. He's not going to show you the big path when you're not walking in the daily steps of obedience. If we want to be his people living for his glory, we've got to get going in his direction. This man immediately picked up his mat and followed Jesus. Started going and doing what Jesus told him to do. What is the Lord calling you to do today? And are you following him in obedience in that area of your life? You may notice that last week's message started off almost this exact same way. You've got to surrender your life to Jesus, and then you've got to obey. And these two points are basically the same thing. But it's important, Luke is teaching us through the Word of God that surrender and obedience go hand in hand. If we're really surrendered to Jesus, then we'll be a people who obey Him in every area of our lives. We've got to be a people who get going in His direction. So what is his direction? How do we know? Well, in this passage, I think such a clear application that's super important for us is this final thing, and that's that we've got to get out and go. We've got to get out and go. These friends were an amazing group of guys, weren't they? What an incredible group of guys that were compassionate for their friend, yet at the same time, they wouldn't let any obstacles stop them from doing what they believed they were called to do. They were going to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus because they had compassion for him. I think that you and I today should be asking the Lord to give us compassion for the people around us who don't know Jesus. We need to be asking God to give us a real heart of compassion. Do you care about the lost? Do you care about those in our community who don't know Jesus Christ? I know you may be thinking, well, Rusty, in Wichita we have a church on every corner. And that's true. But did you know that in Wichita and around the state of Kansas, four out of five people this morning are unchurched. 
four out of five people are not in church and connected to a church today. Every single church in this city could double and triple, build buildings twice the size that they are now, and be full of people again, and there would still be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are lost in this city, who don't know Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, the Bible tells us that they will spend an eternity separated from God in hell. This is what we believe And if this is what we believe, then we ought to be people who have compassion for those who know Jesus. Because listen, we have the remedy. We know the gospel. We know that Jesus saves. And Jesus didn't just come to save you. He came to save anyone who would call on him and surrender their lives to him. So we need to have compassion for those who don't know Jesus. Don't tell me, church, that you have compassion if you're not doing anything to tell people about Jesus. We can't say that we have compassion all the while not telling anybody about Jesus. We need to ask him to give us a heart for the lost. Can I just tell you something? I I could probably make you feel guilty this morning, but that and five bucks will get you a caramel macchiato at Starbucks. Guilt is not going to change you. We need to get on our face Say, Jesus, give me real, genuine compassion for the lost. Because if we don't, we're not going to be able to have it. I told the first service that in my life I've, I've had this, uh, I guess it's an idol of sports and love for sports. I'm not saying it's always an idol, but I, I one night several years ago was watching a game. I don't remember if it was, you know, one of the greatest teams ever, like the Cowboys or the Astros, but one of those, I'm sure. No comment, okay? This is a one-way dialogue right now. If you hadn't been amen to me the whole time, you can No, I'm kidding. So in this moment, I remember they lost the game. I don't even remember the circumstances. But I remember, like, going to bed upset about it, like, frustrated. I woke up a few hours later in the middle of the night, still upset about it. And I was sitting in my bed, I can't believe that, man. I just, you know, frustrated as all get out. And in that moment, I, I promise you, this was just the voice of the Lord reminding me of of. Uh, something a heart issue because I had this thought when was the last time that I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep because of my lost neighbor when was the last time that I couldn't sleep because I was so concerned about the people around me who didn't know Christ when was the last time that I was bothered by the fact that there were many people in my community who were going to die and go to hell if they didn't hear about Jesus and I wasn't doing anything about it So I've been praying, Jesus, give me a heart of compassion. Help me see people the way you see people. Because I'm telling you, I, I worry about the day when we stand before God on that day. And I, I don't want people to say, Man, Rusty, I, I've lived next to you for years and you never told me about Jesus. We went to school together and you never told me about this Jesus. We were family, and you never talked to me about this Jesus. Because, friends, listen to me. On that day, all of the other concerns we have aren't going to matter a whole lot. And we spend so much time worrying about being that person. I don't want to be that guy at work, that guy at school, or that person in my family. But, church, if all of this is true, and we believe that all of this is true, 
then compassion should compel us to be that person. Compassion should compel us to tell everybody we meet about Jesus. We should be those people who never shut up about Jesus. We ought to be that people. What would that look like in your life? And we talk a lot about relational evangelism, which, by the way, is really, really good. Building real relationships with people, showing them Christ's love consistently so that we can have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. But can I tell you what happens if we're not careful? There's a lot of relational and there's no evangelism. Because we don't find the right moment to share the gospel. And here's what I think happens to us. We, we look for the open door. This is what I call open door theology. By the way, I use this kind of language a lot. But, but you need to realize it's kind of messed up. We're like, well, I'm just waiting for the right door to open so I can share Jesus with them. Let me just tell you something. What if these guys had waited for the door to open? They're, they're like rusty. They'd have been like, ah, sorry, bro, no open doors today. We're going home. Let me tell you something, church. Sometimes obedience to Jesus means tearing a hole in the roof. Sometimes obeying Jesus means getting out of your comfort zone and doing things that you never thought you would do. Sometimes obeying Jesus means walking across the street and talking to your neighbor about Christ. Sometimes that means having a conversation at lunch. Sometimes that means sharing your faith story with somebody in your family. Following Jesus and obeying Jesus and declaring Jesus to people sometimes will be awkward. And I know that some of you are probably thinking, well, Rusty, I can tell your personality is different from mine. Uh, you know, you're, you talk to people all the time. That's not just me and that's not my personality. But let me just tell you something. I understand that for some of you, having a conversation at lunch with a coworker is just like tearing a hole in the roof. I recognize that for some of you to have a conversation with a neighbor or with somebody you don't know as well is like tearing a hole in the roof. But love and compassion should compel us to be willing to do whatever it takes to take people to Christ. I believe that Jesus is looking for a church that will say yes to him. For a church that will say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to bring people to Christ and to take Christ to our community. We're going to have a time of response here in a moment, and I want to just give you a few very tangible ways you can respond today, okay? We're going to have a time where we'll have a song, and during that song, some of you maybe have never gotten off the mat. You may not know Jesus today. In a room full of people like this, there's a good chance that there's somebody in here who doesn't have a real relationship with Christ. If that's you, I want to encourage you to let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that surrender your life to Jesus. That you get off the mat and let him raise you to new life so that you can walk with him and make a difference for him. If that's you, uh, our pastors, I'm going to ask them to just make themselves available here on these front rows. We would love to talk to you about that and pray with you about that. But some of you in here may be in the group that you say, I know Jesus, but I continually have been going back to the mat. I've been going back and laying down in my old sins. I've been going back and, and just trying to stay in my old life instead of follow Jesus. If that's you, I want you to just pray this simple prayer. Jesus, help me to follow you today. Help me to follow you. But then there's this other group that I, I definitely fall in, and I think many of you may as well. And that's a group of us that maybe know we haven't been as serious as we should be about taking the gospel to those around us. Today, I want to offer you 
uh, not the answer to that, but I want to give you some training wheels. Can I do that today? Some of you may notice that we have, that it may just look like we forgot to pick these up at cleaning day yesterday. You may see some papers scattered around the front of the room. What we have here is an Easter flyer. Has all of our information for our Easter services this weekend, and on the back it even has a nice little save the date for our vacation Bible school. And can I tell you what these are? These are opportunities for you to start conversations with your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends. These are opportunities for you to engage with somebody and open the door to start having conversation, to walk across the street, knock on the door and say, hey, you may have a church family already, but I just wanted you to know that you're invited to come worship with us. That, that's what this is for. So here's what I want you to do. When we have our response time, we're going to do something that may be just a little bit out of our normal and out of our comfort zone. I'm going to ask you if you would come to the front as an individual or as a couple or as families, If you would come to this front area, and I want you to specifically pray and ask Jesus, number one, to give you a heart of compassion for those who don't know him, but also to give you a boldness to do something about it. And then I want you to just say a prayer, say, Lord, use these flyers to bring people to you and to start gospel conversations all around our community. And when you're done praying, I want you as a family just to grab several of these. We literally have hundreds of these up here. So you can grab three or four. You can grab ten. You can grab twenty. You can grab just about as many of these as you will actually take and hand out. We ordered like an insane amount of them because we go big or go home. You know what I'm saying, right? Okay, some of you do. All right, uh, good. So here's what I want to do today. This is simple. This isn't a big emotional appeal. I'm going to ask our praise team to start making their way up here. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and we're just going to ask Jesus to help us respond as he would lead us. And I want you just to come up here, just stand up here in the front and pray and ask Jesus to give you a heart for the lost and boldness to act. And then here's just a a starter way for you to begin to do that in your family, okay? Let's respond however the Lord leads you to. Will you pray with me? Thank you for your word, Jesus. This has been a very direct and challenging message, yet, Lord, we have seen how these men were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to you. God, I pray that we would have the same compassionate hearts that they displayed. God, like we said earlier, guilt will not change us, but your gospel can. So give us a heart for the lost and boldness to respond. I pray as we have this time to reflect and respond, that you would lead us to respond. Let this be a moment that isn't just a one-time thing, but it's a day that we remember moving forward where we committed to be compassionate people who seek opportunities to share Jesus. I thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. 